man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Welcome to another episode of Who Shot Ya? Episode 180. It's your boy, Ifiwadiway, and I'm in the virtual studio with my friends. So let me introduce you to them. First up, we have none other than the Christmas zaddy himself, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Well, I'll tell you, Ify, and this is a thank you to a friend of the show, Solomon Giorgio, for mentioning this on Twitter, or it would have completely passed me by. Y'all, Mariah Carey has a cookie company. Or rather, a, a food service company is working with Mariah Carey to create, ta-da, Mariah's Cookies. And no. <laughs> yes, yes, that you can get them in like 30 cities. They get delivered by, you know, various food delivery apps. Uh, but yeah, it's a we, we, Dave and I got the variety pack, um, tried a bunch of different kinds, all of them great. I really like the white chocolate cranberry, which is not generally my jam, but these are really good cookies. Ooh. Little on the, uh, you know, not an everyday kind of thing. This is a special time purchase when you're feeling a little extra flossy, but so yummy. And uh, yeah, Mariah's cookie. What can't this woman do? I can only picture the five inch heels that she tottered around a kitchen in. <laughs> like after she did the elliptical in her heels, she then went down to the kitchen, tiptoed around. Mimi likes to bake. Oh. Yeah, I would I would watch a YouTube ASMR video of just Mariah's Hills clacking as she bakes cookies. Oh my <laughs> just, god. She's not her saying anything, just the cle- the, the dishes and the heels clinking and I like clacking. that you tried to couch that in ASMR to keep it more like family friendly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I was like, this seems like sure. no, coming from me, it'll seem like a horny thing. But Show this us is your silk hats, relaxing. Mariah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Well, next up we have none other than the festival program. Grammar as special, extraordinary. That's the word I was going to say. The festival programmer extraordinaire, queen of the Midwest, Drea Clark. Hey, gang. Okay, so you, I think, will both very much appreciate my what's good for this week is mac and cheese. Yay. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, we'll... It, it may tie into the movie that we're going to discuss, but I think mac and cheese is something I know I always have in my cupboard. Like there's a box mm-hmm. could be year decades old. Who knows? But like, <laughs> yeah. I know I can count that it's there and like, and who knows when it's going to hit on me that I want it. And very recently, for reasons we could discuss later, I was like, oh, I need mac and cheese right now. And I made it. And it was like, um, like, you know, the color of an atmosphere of which I've never lived. Like, it's this orange that you don't see in nature. Mm-hmm. And it was so delicious. Mm. It's, it really Ooh. never lets me down. Like, I know you can fancy up mac and cheese, and I sure. love that too. I'll have a lobster mm-hmm. mac. I'll have a truffle mac. Sure, I'll pay Ooh. too much for it. Ooh. But the, like, okay. $2 box that you just <laughs> throw some butter in and skip the milk, like, that's, come on. It's never yeah. not good. Dave truly. just found a one pot recipe for for making it from scratch where it uses a little bit of water and a little bit of milk and you don't mm. strain them. Like you use little enough oh, of the, the noodles actually the, oh. the, the elbow macaroni absorbs sure. it all. And then you just throw some cheese in there and you're good to go. Yeah. I like that, except for then you don't get to use that powder packet. Well, sure, you know? yes. I, all I have to say, even when it comes to like my mac and cheese in a box, I will, I'll spread, I'll, I'll, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll spring oh. the extra fifty cents for the, the the foil packet of Velveeta Goop. 
Oh no, I want the powder packet, but I did zhuzh it up with some cheddar and some Parmesan. There so, you go. So yeah, it was raw cheesy, but yes, mac and cheese <laughs> never lets me down. There, that's my what's good. Amen. Forever. Yeah, yeah. I'm typically just a you know baked mac and cheese type of oh, type yeah. of guy, oh. but I do as a parent. I have some Annie's mac and cheese <laughs> on hand at Locked all times. Loaded. If yeah, Annie's, if, if ever Annie's white cheddar in the like mm-hmm. shells instead of that's the, exactly yeah, the one. Those are, that's the best one. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's top tier. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. definitely gonna be snacking on that. <laughs> yeah, Ify, what's good? Well, what's good with me? If you are paying close attention to our photos that we take i hope y'all are looking at we do a lot of posing for that so i hope y'all if you listen i hope you go to the twitters and look at us posing for the pictures but you'll notice i'm in a new place i'm only three blocks down it's so funny because it it, like anytime i tell somebody uh i move they're like where'd you move to i'm like oh just three blocks down (laughs) but this one it's uh you know a whole shared space with a backyard that naomi is uh way too hyped about uh but uh but also because you're moving, you get that like two, one to two week period where you don't have to cook because you're still unboxing. So you get to order out. <laughs> so uh, so I and then I also am like uh, transitioning from keto to just a high protein diet. So I no longer need to avoid carbs. So I've I've went all in on the sweets. I had milk, which is the regular milk, which has the blue velvet cake. And then, uh, yes, last night I had milk bar with uh, <laughs> with the compost cookie. Nice. I had the cornflake uh, marshmallow cookie. I, I had the I do milk think it's. Bar important to specify for people who don't live here when you say milk the regular milk you do not mean like two percent there is (laughs) it's a store called milk where you can get incredible cookies and things um yeah in case people were like well shit should i not be milk isn't keto i don't even (laughs) know if milk is keto yeah milk milk isn't keto yes but but yeah no you're you're totally right because people in because the other milk bars in New York and people just call that milk. Yeah. So when I call it milk, people think I'm talking about milk right. bars. No, we have two milks here. Yeah. Uh, we are blessed with two milk on Beverly. They <laughs> do have the blue velvet cake, which will make yes. you poop blue. Yeah. Ah! Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, it's always surprising. It's a feature, not now, a bug, Greya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the bonus. That's that's why they short fun fact is that's why they discontinue the all black burger, the all black Whopper at Burger King because people don't know how food dye works <laughs> and they were like i'm pooping green that's weird i'm like well did you think that the burger was naturally black why are we eating things and not knowing how it worked why did you discontinue this delicious burger that made my poop green because you don't know how it works welcome I'm to still our mad poop about episode it. have you had beets i have news for you <laughs> oh well they that you tell that to a young iffy who came out the bathroom pants oh, no. around the ankles crying uh as walking toward <laughs> No. Walking uh, towards my stepmom, thinking I was bleeding. No. I <laughs> will. You like, like, on that damn red velvet. I will Venmo you both to change this subject. Let's go. We're going to be talking about mac and cheese because we're talking about Malcolm and Marie. You'll know why that's important at the top <laughs> of the discussion. We're, of course, going to answer a call from the Who Shot line. And we're going to be talking about staff picks. Uh, but first, it's time for our new segment. 
Itadick, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? And first up, oh man, this is probably the most impactful cinema news of the century because there's going to be a movie based on the game Uno and is being produced by none other than Lil Yachty. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Mattel is producing a new film based on the card game Uno. Mattel plans to transform the classic Uno game into a comedic action adventure. To top it off, Lil Yachty is set to produce the film with an Ida star in it as well. According to Yachty, in my best Yachty impersonation, I play Uno as a kid and still do today, so to spin that into a movie, you know, based on the Atlanta hip-hop scene, it came out really special. It hits close to home for me. Is this important? Do you care? Well, first off, kudos on that impression. Mm, mm. Um, I think both Alonzo and I can agree that we do not know what Lil Yachty sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was so like, that was probably perfect. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. spot It's on. like he was in the room. It truly was. This one's funny to me because Mattel, obviously, Legos are Mattel, right? No. Yeah. No? No, I don't think oh. so. I think Legos is Yeah, Lego is thing. their own company. Yeah, Legos, you're right. Legos and, are turning over in their Lego grave right now that I suggested such and a And Hasbro <laughs> is Transformers. Like, that's where that, yeah. also, mm-hmm. that comes from. I can see, because I know Mattel, Mattel's definitely Barbie, and I know they've had a few... That's been in development for a long time. Aren't Greta they've, Gerwig and uh, uh, Noah yes. Baumbach doing the Barbie movie? Yes. Like, they've had a, some really interesting things, but that at least... If you tell me Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are doing Barbie, I can already think of like the shades that might go. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like the texture of where that is? You tell me the game you know is being produced by Lil Yachty. And I'm like, who shot who in the what now? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, none of those things. It's not like Lil Yachty to me has like a producing brand of, oh, then I know it's going to be irreverent and cheeky or whatever. Yeah. Literally the day before this news broke, somebody had tagged me to read this thing on Facebook where some uh, graphic artist had created like horror movie posters for, for game adaptations and there was like hungry hippos and you know like <laughs> yeah. all these and one of them was Uno and then this news broke and I'm like okay, we can't joke. We cannot joke. Yeah. Not, everything is on the table. You you say something thinking, oh, wouldn't that be crazy and that'll never happen and and then it happens. Oh my god, yeah. they, I could totally see them doing this as a horror film. <laughs> well, right? it's so interesting because I was I was it was all cheeky until it got to the Yachty quote because like in my head now now my new brain activity is can I write this? Can, can I if if I was pitched this, if someone brought me into me and was like iffy you got to make a Uno movie. Can I write this? And so as I was doing, I was like, I can see a world. And then Yadi's quote makes it seem like what I would think where you kind of play it like a tag where like the movie isn't about the game, but it's about the playing of the game. And it seems like it's going to be a bunch of rappers playing Uno, <laughs> which uh, because he's saying, you know, uh, spin it into a movie based on the Atlanta hip hop scene. So I'm hoping it's a bunch of rappers playing Uno and taking it way too seriously. All right. So nope. No segue here. It's the Drea Clark hour. There we go. Um, that said, I do want to discuss um, this past week, 185 LGBTQ actors in Germany printed a joint manifesto in the German newspaper. 
in a German newspaper calling for a change in attitudes within the film industry and for better representation in scripts. The manifesto states, quote, I come from a world that didn't tell me anything about myself. We identify, among other things, as lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, inter, and non-binary. Until now, we've not been able to talk openly about our private lives without fearing repercussions on our professional lives. The manifesto also laments the over-representation of white males in front of and behind the camera. German actor Lamine Leroy Giba, who is black, had this to say, quote, Of course I want to play characters that were originally written white or hetero. At the same time, I ask, where are the black and queer characters standing in the center of their own stories? Is this important? Do you care? I respect the mic drop on this. (laughs) Like the thought that 185 previously like closeted actors in the United States would sign a joint manifesto demanding better representation. Like I can't begin to wrap my mind around that one, but good on you German folks. And apparently like a couple of them, um, at least one man and woman, I think are on the same show, which is like the Grey's Anatomy, big hit TV show of Germany. So it's this thing. And there's also to me something encouraging and that makes sense out of the like group mentality of it the safety in numbers the Mm -hmm. idea of both the statement that it can make but also like you can't fire us all or whatever you know negative repercussions there could be um and to take that and make such a bold move and then the the how that ripples here and you're so right like also one imagines the german entertainment industry is a little smaller than the u.s like Mm -hmm. 185 is a lot of actors to be participating especially for a much smaller market and i yeah no i'm so proud of them and excited and hope that such great things come from this but i think it's such a it's such a key way of looking at it and it's also such a um, taking, you know, taking the reins kind of, of, oh no, we are authoring this and, 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 you know, making it our own and making it like a forward progression and rather than like defensive maneuvers or whatever. And I totally get what they're saying about growing up. We never saw ourselves. Cause that was certainly my experience. I mean, like, I yeah. think things are tons better than they used to be in this country. I think American media has gotten a lot more diverse and the internet obviously has helped a lot with that. But yeah, in terms of like, you know, Film, television, the mass media, like, uh, in, you know, coming up as a kid of the 70s and 80s, like queer people were either like pathetic or the butt of the joke or, you know, either either murderers or there to be murdered. You know, it's just really mm-hmm. not a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to glean from. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that. Uh, that yeah, they're 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 putting their foot down. That's I'm I'm really impressed with this. So uh, this is a story that is uh, breaking as we are recording the episode, and so by the time this episode drops, there may be um, new uh, additions to it. But this week, Charisma Carpenter, best known for her role as Cordelia Chase on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spinoff Angel, released a statement on Twitter denouncing the abusive behavior of Buffy creator Joss Whedon. This all comes out because of uh, Ray Fisher's recent accusations of Whedon's abusive and unprofessional behavior on the of the Justice League reshoots. Carpenter states that Whedon's behavior toward her on Buffy has traumatized her to this day. In her statement, she alleges he repeatedly called her fat, 
punished her for getting pregnant by giving her a 1 a.m. call time and repeatedly pitted against each other to, quote, vie for his attention and approval, unquote. Carpenter says she was motivated to speak out because Ray Fisher was fired as the character Cyborg from the upcoming The Flash movie. Carpenter also says she has participated in Warner Media's Justice League investigation into the alleged abuse on the set. And I think even since we wrote this script, um, Amber Benson has come out on Twitter backing uh, Carpenter's claims. And uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar has tweeted basically saying that she believes uh, the women and uh, supports uh, people who, uh, you know, who come forth with uh, claims of abuse. Is this important? Do you care? Certainly. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Ify. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, yeah, it definitely is extremely important because this is a story that seems like it's been unraveling and developing more and more. And especially someone like Ray Fisher, who was like, you know, this new young black actor on this, you know, huge movie who probably believed his whole career was going to change for the better after getting something like this. And I'll deal with something like that. I can't imagine how not only how bad it is, but the effect is just going to have on his view of the industry and his career going forward. So this is, yeah, this is, uh, you know, upsetting news. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's one of those, I feel like this is one of those, like, side, like Joss Whedon has been gotten, getting away with, you know, walking that line for so long and it's kind of pouring over. Like, it's well known that, you know, he may, he hasn't had the best, you know, uh, relationship with his cast members. And I think this will hopefully be the thing that will finally stop him from being able to do this. We'll see. I think, yeah, it's, it's interesting because we have a movie podcast and mm-hmm. we end up talking about abuse on our movie podcasts a lot more than people might yeah. expect. And I think that I'm grateful that we do because it is such a part historically even of the entertainment industry and of cases like Carissa Carpenter, which is, you know, this is something that happened to her years ago and her saying now. But the reality is, you know, ab- abuse and what we know to be abuse just looks different or no, I guess it's always looked the same. It's perceived differently now. Yeah. And and recognizing what people have gone through and then having them process that and look back. And it sometimes takes a while. I know some of the um, either critiques, defensive or otherwise, can be, well, if this was such a thing, it would have been, it would have come out in the wash earlier. Or mm-hmm. and But I think that that's true of a lot of other industries or personal lives as well that that there's people that can be sitting with trauma or having gone through something so long ago. And it can take a good while of time and perspective to be able to look back and be like, you know what? It, I knew it didn't make me feel good at the time, but also it just was not right. And I yeah. think that the more we see um, people acknowledging that and, and calling calling that out that 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 was the situation that it wasn't just them taking something personally or misreading but it's abuse of power and abusive just situations in general and that that can happen in every field in every you know there's certainly i'm sure plenty of people listening that can relate to this and it's exacerbated in entertainment when you have such big power dynamic differences and like the the people who get to call the shots can influence like the rest of your life beyond just this moment. And yeah, it's, it's so hard to hear. I'm grateful 
for whatever healing can come out of it for charisma, for Ray, for anyone moving forward and, and getting in place some changes. But as much as it sucks to talk about these things, there is still like bringing light to them is the only way forward, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and I think what's what's most irritating about, uh, or, or just kind of horrifying about the Whedon stuff is that he built such a career out of like I'm a feminist and I create these strong female characters, and you know, and then you have his ex-wife kind of coming forward and talking about how that becomes his sort of dodge and that becomes his shield about things, and and even just like a way to further manipulate people, and it's just it's all gross. Uh, so I, you know, I, I understand that. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't, it's not the kind of thing where people feel able or, or willing or comfortable or ready to talk about this stuff, you know, on a, on a timeline that is arbitrarily placed upon them. But when they do come forward and I think it encourages other people to be like, no, that's, that's my, that was my experience as well. You know, I think there's real strength in that. And so, you know, I wish these folks well, and, and I hope that, you know, that the, the, the investigations are able to sort of back up these allegations and, and that, that, you know, the industry continues to not just pay lip service to changes about this sort of thing, but really kind of moving forward, trying to figure out ways to prevent people like this from being able to abuse their power like this, you know, go, going on. Yes. And or just give me all the power. Sure. I'm gonna, I would know nice. this so You're well, so nice. you guys. You know, on, on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Malcolm and Marie. Hey, what's up, Shot Fam? How you doing? Look, we got another wonderful ad from Storyblocks. They support in the show. So let me tell you about them just in case you might have forgot. See, Storyblocks is dedicated to being the world's best royalty-free stock media subscription service with an ever-growing library of stock assets, including music, images, sound effects, and more. Um, what this could mean to you guys as either creators, if that's in the sort of TikTok social media sphere, or if you're making short films, feature films, episodics, whatever you want, this is a way to flesh out if you don't have access to your own aerial footage, if you're looking for crowd shots, if you're looking for establishing locations, but it's also really good if you go through their library um, of lower thirds, of making your titles look incredible, if giving you like a really punchy and slick looking introduction. So there's so much in here that you can dig into. Now you're probably looking for a sweet deal and they've got one. They have affordable subscription plans and tools. And with Storyblocks Unlimited All Access Plan, you can get unlimited downloads of everything in their library. And even if your subscription ends, everything you've downloaded is yours to keep. In 2020, Storyblocks launched Restock, an initiative to increase diversity in their library. Storyblocks is committing to having 20% of their footage contain black, indigenous, and people of color by 2022, with plans to expand their scope to include more underrepresented groups in the future. And if you're like me and you're creating dumb videos on the internet, you know how important that is. I need the black guy angry at work to represent black guys angry <laughs> at work. So explore their library and subscribe today at storyblocks.com forward slash who shot. That's storyblocks.com forward slash W-H-O-S-H-O-T. I can't hear I myself, but I'm These are real podcast listeners, not actors. And uh, hey, thanks for coming. Here's a list of descriptors. What would you choose to describe the perfect podcast? 
I mean, vulgarity. Dumb. Definitely dumb. And like, uh, right here, this one, meritless. What if I told you there was a podcast that did have all of that? <gasps> no. Jordan Jesse Go. And it's free. Jordan, Jordan Jesse, Jesse Go? Go? Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. Welcome back to Shot Jam. Yo, Sivy Wadiway in the studio with me are Drea Clark, Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about Malcolm and Marie. Alonzo, would you mind providing us with a brief synopsis? Sure. Uh, John David Washington is Malcolm. Zendaya is Michi is Marie. Uh, and they are a couple. Um, they have just come back from the premiere of Malcolm's movie to their rental house in Malibu. He is elated and ecstatic and on a high he feels like the movie went really well and everybody loved it and everybody was kissing his ass all night and this is going to be his career moment marie is not so happy marie is not saying anything for the first chunk of the film marie very gloomily makes him some box macaroni and cheese and when she finally opens up as to why she's upset oh the floodgates open and they really dig into all of the aspects of their relationship and whether uh, or not they are being completely honest with each other, whether or not they are uh, exploiting each other. And uh, a lot of sidetracks for Malcolm to complain about white film critics. Uh, oh, and did I mention this film is written and directed by a white guy, Sam Levinson, the creator of the U.S. version of Euphoria and uh, the director of Assassination Nation. It's an all-nighter. It's a lot of arguing. And uh, come the dawn, maybe they've worked things out. See for yourself. I'm going to start with this because because this will precede my diatribe that I'll have about this movie. Uh, Alonzo, as a film critic, what did you think of what this film has to say about film criticism? And who could that white lady critic from the Los Angeles Times be? Oh, well, that's two questions. Um, <laughs> first of all, I, I mean, I will admit it. There's a, he has a long rant about film critics and what white critics get wrong about black movies. And it is, a, it is, there's some funny stuff in there. There is some, some, some good writing and, and Washington plays the sort of like easily wounded, I'm a genius artist, you know, really well. And, uh, you know, I find it hilarious just because as a film critic myself, I never assume that the people who made the movie are going to read the thing because so often you're like, oh, I don't read my reviews. It's just, I, it's so, it's such a negative drain. I can't, I, I don't, I never. So I, I never in my mind, I'm thinking, you're reading this and I'm going to get at you, you know? So when a filmmaker this publicly announces, I read my reviews and oh my God, they wound me so much. I, you know, it's kind of, I find it kind of funny and a little like, well, okay, I, I, I guess, I guess that's part of my job is that these folks are going to read it and they're going to take it how they're going to take it. Um, I did not realize that the, the woman that Malcolm keeps referring to, and even Marie at some point refers to as that white bitch from the Los Angeles Times, unquote, uh, whom Malcolm charmingly says, fuck her with a cactus, unquote, uh, was apparently a dig at uh, our friend Katie Walsh at the LA Times, who wrote a negative review of Assassination Nation. Mr. Uh, Levinson denies this and says, you know, it's it's a it's a composite like New York Magazine uses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says it's not any person in particular, uh, but come on. I mean, um, just yeah. them choosing LA Times, like yeah. that's not even the 
the paper that you would yeah. normally fight to have your review. I mean, I'd be honored for an LA Times review, but when well, you're talking about like either it's in a trade magazine or it's the New York Times, to specify the LA Times yeah. is so pointed. If we're going to get into the mechanics of who would review a movie immediately after a premiere versus like at a festival or for exactly. its theatrical opening, like this movie is a little fuzzy on how all that stuff works, kind of like uh, Chris Rock's top five. Um, but the LA Times would not be the one, would not be first out of the gate it would be yeah. like variety hollywood reporter screen international and me uh, <laughs> oh so what you're saying is he should yeah. have been arguing about he you might, this whole okay. time but see i liked assassination nation so you know oh, okay. so, so, so he's, like, he's like man i really love that guy at the rap though he's real good yeah. i'm gonna pretend that that was part of that's canon now yeah i think the film criticism of this is it's also mooted mooted and muted, but moot, it's rendered moot rendered by the moot. fact that I like mooted. <laughs> it's rendered moot by the fact that later when they do get the review, it is a glowing one and it is, and yet he <laughs> still, still goes off on it as if it was just take a sledgehammer. And like the Zendaya character even says at the end, like, and that's your reaction to a good review. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's was... this thing of, I, I found. Um, his character, and I'm someone who has such an innate warmth and sympathy for artists, for directors, for their like sweet, sensitive shells with their little candy exteriors. Like I feel that and producers protect that. And yet this guy, I was like, oh, shut up so (laughs) many times. And his, and, and Alonso's right that there are nuggets on in both of the sides of this argument that they're hoisting at each other, there's some really interesting stuff there to dig in. And there's certainly things that he says about um, how uh, like black filmmaking can be politicized when it's not meant to be just because it's black. Or when he points out like that people compare him to Spike Lee or Barry Jenkins, but not William Wyler. The man mentioned oh William gosh. Wyler 50 times. <laughs> yeah. yes. And those things are, are valid. Like that's, I mean, I would feel... It's the same thing if you're a female filmmaker and it's just like, oh, cool. I hope you're as good as Lynn Shelton or Ava DuVernay. Like if you're just given these boxes. Right. But it really takes the wind out of the sails of those arguments to put them in the mouths of characters that are like painfully insufferable. (laughs) Well, here's my big thing. And here's my biggest problem that about this I, there there are a lot of things i like about this movie and i really mean that there are a lot of things but there is nothing that grinded my gears of how obvious this was a white man writing this because if you're gonna sit here and tell me that a black director making a film about a black drug addict overcoming the, her addiction is mad that it was taken as political. You do not understand black filmmakers. You do not understand black art. You do not understand the stories that black people told because the story that you're saying that he made inherently is a politicized story. There's no way you would be able to tell that story of a black woman overcoming addiction and going through the healthcare system. And you would be like, and they think it's a, it's a political, you, that is a political movie. Secondly, even as a black creator, When someone, because, you know, white women, when we were all black, you know, improv team, our whole thing was we just want to be a black improv team that happens to do comedy. But anytime somebody was like, oh, this black thing, we didn't give a shit. 
We're not going <laughs> to sit over here bitching for 15 minutes. We do not like that is a white person who is so narcissistic that thinks black people care that much about white opinions that we would spend the whole night arguing over your take that I was like, this is a white man. And secondly, and lastly, in my biggest point about this is I can tell I saw right through the lines in the script that Sam Livingston is mad because this is some fringe review or maybe a huge one because I didn't look up the reviews of Euphoria, but there are a lot of marks he missed about the black people in Euphoria. And this feels like him protesting that Euphoria was just a story about drugs and that, and that it should just be a story about drugs and not everything has to be black, but it is black, Sam. If you have a black woman who is a drug addict, if you have a black athlete who goes to college and is dating the hottest white woman, that is a story you missed and you did not eat on. That's because you decided to write it as a white person and didn't consult black people. And it is not the critic's fault for seeing through that, that you are a white man who missed those marks. And you don't get to go and make a whole nother movie during quarantine and be like, everything doesn't have to be black. You don't get to make that decision, Sam. We want to know why, because you're white. Lastly, he doesn't see color. Yeah, like, like that's what it felt like. And like there were so many good moments because there were so many real moments. But I just saw through it where it's like, oh, you are still burning up about people's takes about you not being able to see the blackness in Euphoria because this is, you know, the movie argues about authenticity so hard. This every part about that was inauthentic. I think he wasn't able to capture the way black people specifically get angry because there's a history. Black people can't get angry the same pe way white people do because there's been a history of us being killed in the way of our anger. So even behind closed doors, we don't do the like, oh, hands up and shout. There's no way that director would be yelling at this woman at the top of his lungs in the middle of the night as a black man. That's the that's a free ticket to an overnight stay in jail as a black man. But all that aside, there were moments I loved. I love that moment where she comes in with a knife and she does that because I dated an actress and she's pulled that shit before. And I was like, oh, that that is real cute it made me smile from ear to ear but every time he tried every time sam was speaking to us as an audience mm. i hated it <laughs> i love that the part that you think is cute is when she comes in with the knife and well, like because... tries to like gaslight him into a thing that she he doesn't even realize at first she's about to do this monologue from yeah. his own work i have one last critic specific thing to throw out and then we can talk about the other merits and demerits of the movie uh the, ultimately what i find hilarious about when powerful hollywood filmmakers respond to criticism is that it it all becomes so situational because either we're out to get them or it doesn't matter what we say anyway or we've sunk their movie or you know we have like it, it's just always this agenda is constantly ascribed to us and our power is generally either diminished if a movie is doing well anyway and so who cares what we have to think or like i still remember when when the the, the lone ranger flopped they blamed it on the reviews i'm like really the oh, lone really? ranger that, was that, a review driven film like like people like the family of four who was going to go see this movie was like oh well i heard the new york times didn't like it never mind you know it's like it's, it's just it's nonsense but people fundamentally don't understand what critics do why we do it and what it means in the in the actual world and and so this movie i just found kind of like 
All right, Sam, if that's your thing. I mean, I, I my, my favorite response to all of this was Glenn Kenny tweeting, you know who could take a bad review? Barry Levinson. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's dad. Nice. Yeah. I think that... Well, first off, I can't hear Lone Ranger without commenting. That film did well, did poorly because um, it's terrible and was headed by two monsters. Um, (laughs) But also it was Quentin Tarantino's favorite movie that year, which always needs to be commented on. Um, I think that, you know, looking at the criticism aside, there's the two arguments within this movie. I say two argument. There are so many arguments, but... (laughs) It's, it's really not, one it's long wall one. to wall argument. Yeah. Broken up in pieces. And there's something that Zendaya's character Marie is getting at that it's, it never fully coagulates to me. And it's such a fascinating concept that I, I wish it had been stronger. Um, and that, and that's the idea of, um, of collaboration and of credit and of um, how we source you know, like the idea of the the muse of an artist. And so, you know, you find out that Malcolm, this movie that he's directed, is about this 20-year-old um, who's um, k- trying to kick drugs and whatever. And then you find out from Marie that, oh, that's interesting because I was 20 when we got together and trying to kick drugs. Like, it's this very clearly taken from her own life. And she's hurt by her exclusion in... It starts because she's mad that he didn't thank her. But what comes out ultimately is that she wasn't treated like a partner in the creative process or credited at all. And like, where is that line? Where is someone's story more than just make a movie out of Uno and instead (laughs) like something personal that's being mined and therefore should either be acknowledged in some kind of special way. And I think that there was something there that I would have loved to have gotten more of but the movie so much instead focused on it was just like these dueling monologues it was these long like i read some article or review that referenced a 20 minute monologue and i was like which one i felt there were like (laughs) five or six of them like first they would just move rooms and it was like oh this is the room where he's gonna just say terrible stuff to her while she sits in a bathtub oh this is the room where she's gonna taste say terrible stuff to him while he's on the couch like it was these long long things and it also took away from beyond any racial authenticity of me feeling like that's not how these arguments go like there's certainly (laughs) the one thing i can relate to in having like a personal argument with this like this is that feeling that they're never ending they're not getting anywhere like you're talking in circles people are sort of saying the same thing over and over yes i've been in those i hate those they go for hours and then they end and you're like nobody won we're just exhausted i appreciate their commitment to don't go to bed angry yes (laughs) but then on the other side of it i was like find me one of those who's been in a relationship where like oh i'm gonna pause and just let you say terrible things to me for 20 minutes without me saying a peep in between okay well this this what i felt about this was this is one of the rare times 
that I would have thought this was a, if I didn't know this was like the COVID movie, which I'm going to call it because it was shot during COVID. Right. I'm mean like, oh, this must be based off of a stage play because that's what it had. And that's why like, like I could see why Zendaya and, and uh, John David Washington would be hyped about this because this is actor porn. Like oh, this yeah. is like, you like, you like, that's, there's that's a lot one of audition the, pieces yeah, in here. Ex- exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's why like, I could see like, they definitely had fun with it. Like this is like the actor's exercise of a century but it is like when you look at it as a movie you're like okay like on stage i'd be like oh this this was great but like when you're watching it in film you're like i i've never been in a relationship argument where i haven't been cut off halfway through the actual point i was trying to make and now we're arguing about something that has nothing to do with it but yeah, we can't even have a podcast without me interrupting you <laughs> Yeah, like it was it was very interesting. But also like I I don't I don't know if y'all felt this way, but like I felt that there was this trying to see both sides to it, but like to me like the director is the antagonist. Like he is a garbage person. In me, he like loses the argument because like she's saying you're inauthentic and you're saying all the ways you're inauthentic. Like you're like, this isn't, I didn't steal this from you. I stole it from this girlfriend and I stole it from this person. And I stole, I'm like, this, you're still like, you didn't disprove her point. My thing (laughs) is, it's not even about disproving. He's abusive. He is an abusive partner. He's also someone in one of his things when he's railing at her, he's, he does this whole thing of like, Oh, this wasn't based on you because you're not even the first. You're not the first broken woman I've dated. Yeah, you're not even oh the first addict I've dated. I'm like, you're a freaking monster. Ooh, this is so. So uh, as we vote on these things, we do uh, stream it. Uh, so we do snatch it up on physical me- media, stream it, or skip it. And for me, this is a stream. Because I've, I there's so many dis- different discussions I want to have about this movie. Like the 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 this caused me i'm forcing a lot of black people to sit through this because i want to make sure i'm not crazy in the idea i have of black anger and how we approach it because i didn't think about it until seeing it like i didn't it's not something it's one of those best ideas that's like it's not something i came up on my own it was witnessing this and go oh it's not your fault <laughs> it's 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 a cultural thing you know that type of thing and i'd love you in that conversation and also like i said if you're an actor you're gonna just love to pick through one of the like one of the many 20 minute monologues that you will take to acting class and eat on and also zendaya is great also uh sam made uh malcolm try and eat ass in the first 15 minutes and that's always gonna get a watch from me uh so so i'm a i'm a i'm a team stream it um i knew that this movie would have no authenticity at that same moment because she comes in in her black tie like her gown pees and then puts her nylons and heels back on in her own home to go cook and i was like oh so you don't know people you certainly don't know any people that wear freaking pantyhose and heels so no thank you this one's tricky because i i agree that there's food for thought here and i also appreciate one of the elements this has it's black and white it has this Mm -hmm. classic Hollywood look to it and we did not get nearly enough movies in the black and white era of of black couples um affluent or not having deep emotional conversations and I think there's something about having films like this in the midst that helps but I found this painful this is a skip it for me I was Mm. it was never ending and I was so unhappy with 
so much of what was being communicated because I thought it was being clumsily handled and I wanted so much more from Zendaya as Michi um, because I think she's such a talent. Um, Yeah, no, no, thank you, ma'am. I'm a stream it only because I think Zendaya and Washington make such an eight course meal out of this movie. And if you, the longer you think about what actually is being said in this movie and what's what, what kind of character choices are being expressed, like the more it falls apart, like the further away I get from it, the more I kind of am able to pick apart, not just the critic stuff, but like just the emotional beats and the emotional truths of the movie, which are, are lacking. But just to see the two of them, like you say, not only like just two really talented actors digging into this stuff, but also two beautiful actors being shot yeah. like old school movie stars. Mm. You know, there is there is something there's an appeal there. So, you know, it's worth a look. But, you know, ugh, there's a there is a lot that uh, that's just exasperating. Just the first <laughs> the first 15 minutes plays like a very tight short film. So you could just dig into that. Well, uh, we're going to take a break, but we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. Hey, everyone. It's I, John Hodgman of the Judge John Hodgman podcast. And I, Elliot Kalin of the Flophouse podcast. And we've made a whole new podcast, a 12-episode special miniseries called I, Podius in which we recap, discuss, and explore the very famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome called I, Claudius. We've got incredible guests such as Gillian Jacobs, Paul F. Tompkins, as well as star of I, Claudius, Sir Patrick Stewart, and his son, non-Sir Daniel Stewart. Don't worry, Dan, you'll get there someday. I, Claudius is the name of the show. Every week for MaximumFun.org for only 12 weeks. Get them at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ifiwadi Way. In the studio with me are Alonzo Duralde, Drea Clark. And it's time for the Who Shot Line. So let's answer a call from one of our listeners. Casey, play that call. Hey, Who Shotties. Um, this is a PA from Parts Unknown. Um, last weekend, I was at the San Francisco Sketch Fest online because what the world needs is more um, sketches on Zoom. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised to see Iffy and his crew, white women, uh, trying to sell people useless entertainment ephemera in probably one of the better sketches of the evening, um, including, I don't want to spoil the joke, but I'm going to spoil the joke, um, a DVD copy of The Trial of Chicago 7. But perhaps the most I laughed all night was Iffy trying to sell a copy of Grand Theft Auto for realizing the disc was missing from the case and then guilelessly trying to close the sale. What is the sketchiest piece of movie-related merchandise you've ever attempted to sell or buy? Thanks. Love the show. Uh, talk to you all later. Bye. This is actually a really fun one, and not just because it was a great, uh, you know, plug for Iffy. <laughs> the plug, yeah, good plug for me. Also, happened live. I didn't know the disc wasn't in there while shooting that scene because I was trying to actually just show it, and <laughs> it wasn't in there. And that was all improv, baby. Uh, but oh man, I'd love to hear you because mine is definitely going to be that Anna de Armas cutout that Ben Affleck tried to throw away. <laughs> I'm still trying to get my hands on it. If anyone knows where I can purchase that, if I he, want I it. Want Drive by Ben's so house. Badly. It's on the curb. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
I want that for you. I, first off, I love the PA said he was from Parts Unknown. Good for you. <laughs> um, the, I'm not actually, like, I don't have things that I think of as, like, sketchy that I've either film related that I've tried to buy or sell. I'm not, you know, much of um, a capitalist in that area, I guess. <laughs> um, also, I don't like a lot of stuff, so I'm not always trying, like, I'm not looking for things or trying to get things. So I don't have any good, like, oh, yeah, one time I went into an alley and got this something I have, something. I have a story. Oh, Alonzo. Ooh, yes. The year is 1979. <laughs> the movie is Superman, the movie, uh, which I was 12 years old and crazily excited about. Like, this was, like, Star Wars had opened in a way where, like, the first week it played at one theater in Atlanta on the other side of town. And so I knew like eventually it was going to make its way out to the burbs and I would get to it, which is what happened. But Superman, by this point, they were going like full saturation. This was the, one of the early films where they were like opening on thousands of screens the opening weekend, you know, and tons of hype. And I was a comic book nerd and, you know, like it was just like fever pitch. I don't know if I've ever been as excited for a movie in my life. And so I go, and it was at my my usual theater, the theater that I would later work at in high school, weirdly enough. And the for, for the first time ever at a movie, I saw that they had a merch table set up. And they you were 12. Had, oh, yeah. And I was 12, so I was primo Licensed. target for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So they had all these ridiculous gugas, and so I had just enough money to buy the glow-in-the-dark kryptonite rock in a box, which I purchased, held on to it for a couple minutes, and thought, no, this is dumb. I don't, what what use am I going to get out of this? So I swapped it for a thing that was for the same price, which was the Superman ring. It was this crappy little metal ring with a little like Superman insignia on it. Put it on my finger. I was so excited. And it was the first time I learned that crap jewelry will turn your finger green. Yes. Yes. I knew that was coming. And I really hope the 12 year old you for a second wondered if that was like a kryptonite thing. If like, yeah, yeah, ooh, like oh, am I responding I to this? Am I maybe? Whoa. What if I have powers and not just. The Cheap. problem with having a lot of doctors handy in my youth <laughs> meant that, uh, no, I did not think that. <laughs> That's funny because the only, I'm trying to think of like the things I've been drawn to are accessory related. Like I own, this isn't movie, but TV, but like I do own a Doctor Who sonic screwdriver and ah. I definitely was like, oh, I should get a Harry Potter wand. You guys, I was a grown adult. I did not need a <laughs> Harry Potter wand. Um, but the thing most recently that probably also would have turned me green is I was absolutely eyeing. I love that I'm like, oh, I don't buy cheap things, but I do get real lured by them, like like a bird that wants to bring in shiny things. Shiny magpie. Yeah, yeah. I definitely eyed um, at the Avengers Endgame premiere both. Um, I think both Brie Larson and Scarlett Johansson wore different versions of essentially like jeweled lady um, bracelet versions of the gauntlet, the infinity gauntlet <laughs> with like the stones around the rings and the back. Of the, yes. And I was, I found like versions of that on Etsy that I'm like, Oh, this is so pretty and shiny. And then I held myself back because I was like, where the hell am I going to wear this where people won't also immediately be like, is that supposed to be an infinity <laughs> gauntlet? Are you snapping? Like, oh, cool, Drea. Very cool. <laughs> If 
Casey, have you ever successfully sold a used <laughs> DVD and or empty DVD case? I, I have not sold any empty DVD cases and I have not, you know, lent out any screeners. I break them after watching them as instructed to do so, mm. uh, you know, to put them in a shredder every time. I, you know, I definitely don't, uh, didn't have a full box of the moving. <laughs> <laughs> like a good there. guild member. Yeah, like a good guild member supposed to. <laughs> I hear, hear Sag coming knocking on my door now. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I have yet to be connected with anyone with a prop that I want, which would be anyone who worked on a Guillermo de Toro uh, anything. Mm. That that hit me up if you're a listener and you worked on that. But I did uh, work for a certain nerdy um, Comedy Central uh, time-specific uh, fake game show, and uh, that person was real into horror, uh, horror with their uh, hyper-rich uh, uh, partner. And, um, and so... You know, he told me all the stuff that he like acquired. So then I, oddly enough, it was one of those weird serendipitous things. Someone hit me up with these two huge like lanterns and go, hey, these are some like um, these. What are the huge? You know what I'm talking about? Like they're like flame columns and and, and they're usually in like it, it was from the set of Van Helsing. Though. Oh, and <laughs> was like, Do you know anyone who would want this? And I was like, funny enough. <laughs> As a matter I of do. fact. <laughs> and I've never, like, you know, the the only person to be like, oh, yeah, can you connect me with that person? <laughs> I don't know what happened in that deal, but I did know they were tr- excited to get some giant flame Van Helsing banisters. You're someone so. I can see having something like that, too. Like, Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I have space for it now that I have a backyard, so I should probably yeah. hit them up and be like, let me get the... <laughs> Wait, can I tell Do they my- work as space eaters? <laughs> Can I tell my small prop related thing that I did end up with? It's super random and it's from so long ago. So when I started in the industry, I worked in music video for years, as you guys probably know, and was friends with the video commissioners at the different labels. And um, one of them gave me a cell phone because I've always been like janky. Like I use a phone until it dies. So I always have like the embarrassing phone. And he was like, that phone is a travesty. Let me get you. So the phone he gave me was the phone that was used in an Enrique Iglesias video by Anna Kornikova. Because she, she, like, takes a call from Enrique. And, like, so I ended up with that phone, which was very funny for me at the time. God, I wonder if I know where that phone is. If I know where that phone is, I'll try and sell it to someone in a janky way. Full circle. Get a frame grab. I think there's a market for that. Thank you to everyone who has called in. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY803-1664. If he plugs, not required, but are appreciated. Uh, Move ahead of the class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, we bumped that up immediately. Uh, it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie at all. Alonzo, why don't you start? Well, you know, it's funny. The uh, Malcolm and Murray, uh, like, again, part of the reason that what I did like about it was I, I, I love a sort of good kind of close quarters movie with a lot of acting going on. And uh, and I recently recommended another film like that, uh, the 1994 Tom Noonan movie, What Happened Was, which just got a 4K restoration and is screening in virtual cinemas. But my pick this week is, I think, the sort of granddaddy of those kinds of movies. And that would be uh, Mike Nichols' 1966, Who's Afraid of Virginia 
Wolf, um, his very first film. Um, and uh, I, I recently had, had the good fortune to talk to Mark Harris about that on a film and a movie because he's got his new book out about Mike Nichols, which I've talked about. But yeah, if you've never seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, it's Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, George Siegel, Sandy Dennis. And uh, they, this is the, the play and the movie that really kind of invented this like we're not leaving this house and we're going to say the worst stuff imaginable to each other and we're going to let it all hang out. And, uh, you know, I, I think that any movie since then that is along these lines and Malcolm Marie certainly falls in that category, uh, is chasing that dragon and that's what they want to be. So go to the, go to the source, check out who's afraid of Virginia. I'm so glad you brought that up. Good on you, Alonzo. Oh, thanks. Um, I have one in looking at this film and what I appreciated about it and in a as a relationship drama and as looking at black relationships and how there can be um different pressures or different just in inherent issues with that. And I think that's been done more successfully. And my my um my pick for today is uh Beyond the Lights by um, uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood. And it is Gugu... Oh, no. Mbatha-Raw. Gugu Mbatha-Raw and uh, Nate Parker. And she plays a very sort of Rihanna-styled pop artist who's about to break, and in in more ways than one, about to become very (laughs) successful, but also is dealing with a lot of unresolved emotional issues from her childhood and from her ambitions. And um, I think that the two of them and how they relate to each other and what they bring out in each, it's such a great movie. Like it's just, it's a, it's a fun, easy watch. So it's certainly not like a, Oh, I should watch this. Cause it's going to be so good. But like, it's saying so much and there's so much interest and authenticity in how these characters are relating and how the struggles they hit um, in their love affair, even though most of us don't have a struggle being that we are a world famous um, <laughs> pop star. But yeah, I love this movie. Oh, and it's currently mm. on Canopy, but you can rent it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And just yeah. just try to work past everything you know about Nate Park. Yeah, I kind of glossed over that part. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also high five to Minnie Driver for playing her mother in this because she's so mm. good in it. Yeah. Ooh. She's great. So good. Well, you know, um, you, we, something I think uh, that was mentioned in today's movie was how much we like seeing uh, black people in black and white. So you know that my staff pick has to be waiting for guesses. She's got to have it. No, Alonzo is correct. She's oh, got to have okay. it. A Spike Lee joint. Uh, yeah. It's, it, and, you know, it also is like, you know, about black relationships uh, done in a fun, authentic way. And uh, it was my first time watching it, too, because I wanted to watch it after seeing this. And I was like, damn, Spike Lee was kind of drippy. You know, he was, he was, he was, he, he's played as like the nerd. But like, I'm like, that's like swag now you know so <laughs> so uh shout out to you spike lee uh for a, a great movie so check that out Dre alonzo thank you so much for another wonderful show is there any last words you have before we get up up up, up out of here uh mm. mac and cheese is delicious whichever kind yes of it. yes 
Yes. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, and if you'd like to support the show, please visit MaximumFun.org forward slash join. If you'd like to purchase a Jumbotron, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. It's $100 for a personal message like, hey, uh, you're really abusive and very angry all the time and you keep yelling about Barry Jenkins. Or <laughs> $200 for a promotional one. Hey, check out my LA Times article where I make fun of this director who is real shitty. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Perfect example. Again, for the, instance. Uh, for, exa- for instance, and the number for the Who Shot line is WSY8031664. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pot. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast or send us an email at Who Shot at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.